really quickly, I had a couple of quick announcements, and, uh, and then we'll get started into the Word. So, uh, first of all, today is a special day because it is a New Visitor Lunch slash Baptism Sunday. And so, uh, what that means, uh, my mic is kind of humming. Can you just like, maybe just turn it down just a little bit. But um, what that means is that we're going to head over to Ed and Sally's, I'm sorry, Ed's house today. Um, if you don't know where that is, the address is right here, 1435. We're going to leave this up just for a little bit. So you can write that down or take a picture is another way for it. I just want you to know that everyone's invited. Um, this is going to be a party. Uh, we'll have some childcare, some lunch. If you can't make it for any whatever reason, no worries. But right after church today, we're heading over there. Uh, it's a great spot. We call it the South Campus uh, because we've done lots of events there. And uh, it's going to kind of be two things, um, lunch and, uh, and a, a small meeting. And that meeting is going to consist of myself sort of sharing and the church council sharing a little bit of the things about the church that you wouldn't talk about on a Sunday morning, kind of like our government, governance and core beliefs, our mission values, kind of how we deal with money, all those things. Uh, it's going to be a short meeting and then we'll have time for some questions. And then um, while that's happening, those that are interested in baptism uh, are going to be in a separate room uh, of the house with Adam where he's going to kind of share a little bit about baptism, why we do it and kind of prepare those. Uh, so right now we have four for sure that are interested. But again, if you're deciding right now that, man, you'd, you'd like to be baptized, all you need is a swimsuit uh, or shorts or whatever, um, because we're going to go right there in, in the hot tub right afterwards. So after those meetings, we'll head out on the deck and, uh, and celebrate those that are being baptized. So it's going to be from about 11.15 to about 1.30 and we'll be done. going to be a fun time. I'd like to invite you out. Uh, second thing is uh, this coming Saturday is our um, outreach for Heart of Compassion. It's our second month in a row at this park. And so those of you who guys came, came out, it was incredible. Thank you for serving. Uh, I know that uh, Guillermo and Norma and their family did a great job helping us with like a bounce house and things like that. This is uh, uh, kids, kids Weekend. What is it called? It's Children's Day. Um, for the Hispanic community, it's, um, and so we're going to really emphasize stuff for the kids. So we just want to let you know about that. If you'd like to come out and help support, uh, it's 1030 on Saturday, right there at that address, which is literally down the street. And uh, we're also collecting toys and, um, and, you know, clothes and things like that. Good? Awesome. Well, open up your Bibles to John chapter 20. And this message isn't a part of a series. It really is just sort of part two of our Easter service. And if you were in our church or a church or even just know the concept about Easter, you'll know that it really finds its climax in John chapter 20 or for most of the gospels, kind of the end of the gospel where Jesus goes to the cross, he pays for our sins. And then more importantly, on the third day, he does what he said he was gonna do. And so when somebody uh, predicts that they're going to die and then raise from the dead and they pull it off, you listen to them. And Jesus did that and we celebrated that on Easter. And so we're going to pick up, and it won't be on the screen, but you can follow along uh, just really briefly, because this isn't our text today, but it really is kind of setting up our text in John chapter 20 and verse 30. And this is John, the writer of the gospel of John, who's one of the eyewitness account, accounts of this, says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. In other words, 
This isn't an exhaustive list of the things that happened. These are just the ones that we put in there based on the Holy Spirit's guidance of what he did. But he did so much other, and it was incredible. And then he says, but these things are written, meaning the book of John. These things were written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. Aren't you glad today that he didn't say, and that in behaving, you may find life in his name. It's not our message today. Anybody with me? That in believing, having faith in Christ, you may find life in his name. And what's interesting about this passage is that it really does sum up the whole deal. And lots of people in preaching the book of John, including myself, will use that passage as sort of like a thesis statement for the whole book because it's so powerful and it really does represent what the whole deal is about. And and it looks like John's kind of bringing this whole thing to a conclusion at John chapter 20. Jesus did more. I can't say it all, but I wrote these things so that you might believe and in believing you might find life in his name. Done, period, next book. But instead there's a whole nother chapter that represents life after the resurrection. And, and so I, I wrote this, John chapter 20 was Jesus's comeback. John chapter 21 is your comeback. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. As you reveal yourself to us, we're transformed. And and we're not transformed any other way. And so forgive us, Lord, for the areas that we have been striving and where we've been worried and anxious, God, and um, really just trying to work our way into something. But today we're looking to, to you, Jesus, to open our eyes once again to yourself, that in beholding we might become. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my talk today is Now It's Your Turn. And so our text today is John chapter 21. And it's one of my favorite uh, passages. If you go with us to Israel um, at the end of September, then you'll be able to go in this exact spot where this whole thing happened. But we're going to pick up in John Uh, chapter 21, verse one, and it'll be up on the screen. It says, after these things, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, in this way, he revealed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, the son of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Now, again, we're gonna skip around just a little bit. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They went out and immediately got into the boat And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, friends, have you any food? And they answered, no, you know know that already, Jesus, but no, (laughs) we didn't catch anything. Therefore, the disciples whom Jesus loved, which is funny because that's John who's writing this, chap- this book, uh, you know, gave himself an awesome name. The one that Jesus loved said to Peter, uh, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and plunged into the sea. And then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, 
come eat breakfast. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. Now, don't miss this. Now, this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I find it interesting that Jesus chooses this moment to reveal himself because it was the third time. And so at first glance, because they didn't know it was Jesus and then their response when they saw Jesus, you would think that like this is the first time that they realized that he is not dead and now their response makes sense, but that's not the case because this wasn't the first time they've seen them. It's not the second time they've seen him. And you, you know, as well as I do, that doubting Thomas actually got to stick his finger in the side of Jesus. So not only did they see him, they actually touched him. This is the third time that they have been experiencing and encountering Jesus. And it's on this occasion, the occasion after the resurrection, not Jesus's comeback, but your comeback moment. This is the moment that Jesus said, I want to reveal myself specifically in this way to these disciples. And that's what this story is about. So if there's a thesis for this story, it's Jesus revealing himself to the disciples so that they can have a comeback like Jesus did. See, they weren't hiding. Um, they weren't questioning. They weren't doubting. That's what they were doing before. And then Jesus walked through walls and showed up and said, here I am, I'm not dead. That, that's not the case. They, they, they understood and now believed that Jesus rose from the dead, that he had been walking around, that what he said was true, that he is the Messiah and that he is on mission in the world to save the world. They got all of that the first two times they saw Jesus and referred back to all the things that Jesus said. And so now on this third time, the disciples are not hiding and cowering and hoping that Jesus comes back. They are running, not from Jesus, but from the calling. Running from the very thing that Jesus had invited them to do, not because they don't want to do it, but because they completely disqualified themselves. We get it, Jesus. You're awesome. You rose from the dead. We are so for that. So for the message. And now, Jesus, we release you to go find 12 others that are worthy of your message. Because we now know we are not that. We're fishermen. Because you remember when Jesus came to these, these misfits, Jesus came to them while they were fishing. And they were catching nothing. So this, this group of people, yeah, 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 again, just a little bit of, of, of context that I've shared with you before, but in, in case new to, to the story of the gospel, when, when we say Jesus called these disciples, they were the leftovers. They were the people that none of the other religious leaders who, again, not like a religious leader now that only in certain circles are respected. Back then, the religious leaders were like the most respected people in the community. And if a, a rabbi would come to you and say, follow me, you'd drop everything. You'd drop your nets. You'd leave your father and mother and you go, I'm all in because you're calling me to something like incredible. It's like, come on, come and be a professional sports athlete. You're that much of a well-known entity. And so they all got passed by 
by all the rabbis. And that's why they became fishermen. Because if you didn't get picked, then you went to your family trade, fishing, which they weren't good at because they weren't catching anything. They weren't making very much money, but that's all they knew how to do. And Jesus came to them originally and said, I pick you, the ones that no one would pick. So now here they are back fishing, the thing that they weren't very good at, the thing that they went to because they didn't have any other options. This is now what we're doing because Jesus, you picked us before and we totally blew it. And so now we know you're real. Now we know all the insecurities and fears that we had before we shouldn't have had because we know now that you have the power over hell and the grave. So unfortunately, Jesus, you're gonna have to go do it with some other people that are much more qualified than us. Some of the greatest disappointments in life are our own. Would you agree? I thought I was better than this. I thought I had overcome this. I thought I would be more faithful than this. And here I am again. Look at me. Thought I was better than this. Letting him down, failing again. So post-Easter... Um, for, for, for many of us, this, if we're not careful, can kind of be our, our landing point. I believe in Jesus. And we can even say that with a smile. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the mission of God. And quite frankly, I'm happy to let Jesus love me. I'm just not a vessel he can use. So I'm a candidate for his love, just not his service. And so I will continue in the same holding pattern I have been, only now I've got a little more information and now I maybe believe a little bit more and I feel loved a little bit more, but I'm equally disqualified as I have always been for something any more than that, for the same reason the disciples were, because I am flawed and Jesus deserves something better. Now, I realize that I'm not talking to anybody in this room, but if you happen to know somebody that has any self-deprecating thoughts, pass this along. Anybody with me? So I wrote this down. I thought this would be helpful for us to understand. The devil can't, if the devil can't keep you from being loved by God, then he will keep you from being used by him. Because we heard loud and clear on probably every, um, behind every church pulpit on the planet that for God so loved the world that he gave. And so there is a resounding love for you. And I hope you received that because it's the most profound thing on the planet. And so if, if the enemy can't keep you from believing that you're loved, then his next strategy is, well, I'm definitely going to keep you from believing that you can be used by him. And the truth is, he is doing a pretty good job convincing you and me that we are disqualified. Or at the very least, that there's multiple levels that you will have to graduate to before you're that kind of candidate. The religious system reinforces this message. The service of God is reserved for the spiritually elite. Come on. 
those who have risen to a level of holiness and righteousness. Listen, if you don't live a holy life, then you have no business serving God. You could be loved by God, but if you don't walk at a level of holiness, then just leave it to the rest of us Bible-thumping people who walk in that level of holiness. And, and if you've ever seen me walk, I kind of hover. It's really less of a walk. It's more of a, a floating because of the big halo on my head. Oh my gosh. Watch out for lightning. You know that's not true. But this is the message that we can believe because, because there's a message there of like, no, the, the, the service of God is for the spiritually elite. And so when you see people, whether, whether on stage or, or serving God and ministering and being used by him, there can be a perception of like, wow, they really got their black belt in ministry, right? It's like they, they went through the levels of righteousness and holiness and, and finally reached that. And so, and, and then we look at them and we look at us and it's like, see the difference? They're there and like, I'm way down here. And so maybe one day, but man, I'm really gonna keep this, this idea that I am so not qualified for God's service. So I'm gonna leave it for everybody else that, that clearly is. And hopefully we're gonna blow that thing to pieces because last time I checked, what makes you and I holy and righteous has nothing to do with you. Last time I checked, Jesus gives us the robe of righteousness, which means that we walk around as righteous, not because of our filthy deeds, our good deeds that are like filthy rags to the Lord, but because of his robe of righteousness. And I, I love um, what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, because Paul kind of lays this out. Before we read this, right before this, Paul is saying, listen, if anyone has a, an opportunity or reason to brag, about righteousness. Let me tell you what that looks like. And he goes down a long list and just starts waxing eloquently about what he did as a religious Pharisee, holier than now, more respected, more reason than anybody else to, to, to tout his goodness. And Paul says this, not having my own righteousness, which comes from the law, because that's like filthy rags, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now listen, before we get all worked up, um, I believe that, um, that there's qualifications for, you know, becoming a pastor and leading a congregation. So I'm not saying for a second that we throw caution to the wind around here and we just put up whoever on the stage to teach the word. God, there's a greater standard for those that teach the word. So please pray for me uh, because there is all those things. I believe in that. So that's, that's not what I'm talking about because I, I believe that there are standards to the leadership of God. But here's what I wanna tell you. First of all, I'm a sinner. So if you came to a church hoping to finally find a pastor that's not a sinner, you are in the wrong spot. And this probably should be your last Sunday. Please come to the lunch and get some free lunch on us. But we're not that. And if you hung out with me, then you know that's not true. 
And so, and so the expectation isn't, isn't righteousness on our own merit. But, but I also believe in the simple concept, and that is you are qualified. You don't need to hang your head for one more minute that God doesn't sh shine his blessing on you, that he can't use you every day of your life. And again, it doesn't mean that you're called to full-time vocational ministry or that you'll be preaching from a pulpit or on a, you know, go, you know, go on an evangelistic circuit. Like that's a whole nother conversation that, that, that God calls me to. But I'm talking about every member a minister. You have a message in you. Because the goodness of God has overcome you and, and, and you, you are a shining light. And, and, but, but unfortunately, sometimes we hang our head because we disqualify ourselves because we're not perfect. And this message from Jesus revealing himself to the disciples is to say this to you. I still choose you. Today, I still choose you. So Jesus shows up and what does he decide to find his faithful followers doing on this third time revealing himself to the disciples? He already showed them the scars. Look, Thomas, doubting Thomas, look at the scars, right? And then it shows up again to the disciples. So the third time, Jesus was probably expecting them to like be evangelizing. Like Jesus is real. It's amazing. He showed himself to us twice already. Guys, you should come and like give your faith to him. No, that's not what they were doing. Okay, maybe they were out trying to fish to feed the poor, to like do some good. Jesus has literally already, already saved them and now they should be out doing mission. They weren't even doing that because they didn't have a single fish in their net and they were about to give up. This is a disaster when Jesus shows up. And yet Jesus decides to take this failure of a moment and reveal himself. So I wanna, I wanna look at three things really simply that Jesus did that he does for us. The first one is this, Jesus called them friends. I love this. And there's different translations. So they do some sense say children. And the reason for that is because this word literally means young servant of God with incredible potential and destiny. And so he's yelling from shore, friends! Now, that sounds cool. It sounds even better though, if you put yourself in the place of the disciples. They have completely disqualified themselves. They are thinking, wow, Jesus is awesome. We are the worst. Because the, the, the better Jesus' story gets, the worse our story gets because of all the things that we did. And so we are out here trying to just get away from it all. Jesus shows up and they would expect something very different to come from Jesus' mouth. And instead he like shouts from the shore because they're a hundred feet out. He's shouting from the, from the shore, like people with potential, shining stars, my friends. What's up guys? Now I have a question for you. What's your perception of like the first thing Jesus says to you. And I'm not talking about when you get to heaven. I'm talking about when you get up in the morning. And if you just like dare to crack open the Bible or close your eyes and say, Lord, thank you for today. If you had a perception of the God in heaven saying something to you, 
immediately. Like, what is the first thing he's going to say to you? What is it? I'll tell you what it's not after you fail. You had a bad night or a bad week or a bad day and you wake up in the morning and you're just kind of like feeling that like emotional, spiritual hangover. You're like, this is like, I'm not, I wasn't my best self. Right? I yelled at my kids or whatever. And you wake up and you're just feeling some regret and you go to God and you're like in this repentance mode and you're not visualizing him, him in heaven going, friend, you're awesome. Like you have so much potential. There's no one in that room that has that perception. And I promise you that, that the disciples didn't either. And yet that was the very first thing out of Jesus' mouth. Sometimes I think we put God's love in the category of his obligation. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that he he gave his son because he had to do it because we already know there's no other way because he loved. And so he said, so I think we sometimes put God's love in the category of like, you know, when the pastor comes up to you and is friendly to you at church, that, I'm not, I'm not just, disregarding my role to do that or the significance of that, but I've heard this a lot. That doesn't mean near as much as a congregant walking up to a visitor and saying, we're so glad you're here. And do you know why? Because they're not obligated. Everyone thinks that the pastor, like, of course the pastor's going to be nice. Was he going to be mean? (laughs) Right? And so, yeah, he was friendly, right? But when you have somebody else that it's totally not their role, not their obligation. They just did it genuinely because they like, were really glad to see you. It just means something. And I think that sometimes we put God in this category of like, of course he's gonna love us. He kind of has to. He is love. Yes. So, okay, God, I love you. I mean, you love me. But I'm not sure you like me. There's a difference. Like you have those friends that always, I love you, brother but like they would never hang out with you. I love you. Like, okay, thank you, but I don't think you like me because you've never hung out with me. (laughs) So I appreciate the generic love, but I kind of need a friend. (laughs) Anybody with me? In other words, he loves me. He's just not picking me to be on his team anytime soon. Love you. But when I need somebody in my corner, now. Jesus used this term once before with the disciples and, 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 and this is why this is so profound to them and why we see the reaction of Peter the way that we did. Because Jesus, before they screwed up, before they had the mess ups, before all the water under the bridge, Jesus had this profound moment with the disciples trying to reinforce the idea that I'm reinforcing to you today. I choose you. And he says this to the disciples. He says in John chapter 15. And go. Computer slow. I'm just going to read it. No longer do I call you servants because a servant does not know it is master's business. Instead, I have called you Friends. Friends. And he says this. For everything that I have, I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. Listen to this. 
I did not, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go bear fruit. You didn't choose me. In fact, it had nothing to do with you. I chose you and I called you friends. And so here's at the shore and he's like, friends, remember that? Remember that whole deal that like I picked you before? I still pick you. And, and I think there's somebody here today that just needs to hear that. I still pick you. So Peter, after hearing this news that you still pick me, takes his coat and puts it on and jumps into the water. Now, that's crazy enough because they're only a hundred yards from the shore. And it's like, dude, Peter, just wait in the boat. We're almost there. And, but, but what struck me was that he put his coat on. Now, I have an assumption that I'm going to share with you, and it's a great assumption, and, a great, and, and, and this may or may not be, and we'll never know. But I have an assumption of at least subconsciously why he put his, his coat on. Because do you remember the last time Peter was in the boat and Jesus wasn't in the boat, and Jesus was calling to Peter? And then they had a sudden realization in the boat, maybe it's the Lord. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, call me out on the boat, out on the water. Jesus said, come on. So, Jesus, so Peter, fully clothed, got out of the boat. And to this day, besides Jesus, he's the only one that's ever walked on the water. Besides, you know, Evan Almighty and, the, you know. <laughs> or I think it was Bruce Almighty. But... but so, so, so here's, here's Peter having this revelation that he still picks me. He still chooses me. And if you believe in me, then maybe I can believe again. And so come on, let's put this garment on and let's give this a try. Jesus, I'm willing to jump again. I'm willing to have faith again. And, 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 and Peter didn't walk on the water because if he did, then we'd all start making some, you know, conclusion that that's what happens and that's what you do. And if you don't walk on the water, then maybe he doesn't pick you. So it's nothing to do with walking on the water. It has to do with Peter having the faith once again to say, if you pick me, then I'll jump once again out of the water of uncertainty by with faith and courage to follow you. And that's the message. And that's what God is calling us to when he says, friends, Second thing that happened is Jesus prepared a table for them. Are we done with the screens? The slides? Okay, good. Thank you. Jesus prepared a table for them. I love this because, because Jesus came to them and their, and, their, and their nets were empty. Can I tell you, Jesus loves filling empty things. He loves it when your nets are empty because he can fill them. I used to feel so inadequate in ministry. And I still, and I still feel inadequate, but I used to feel like a fraud because I used to think that if God's really calling me to this, then, then, I thought I would feel way more qualified. 
I thought I would feel way more equipped. I thought I would feel like I have way more to offer. And so because I don't, I used to think, I mean, I don't know, am I trying? I'm like, am I fooling everybody to think that I have like so much to offer? But when I don't, I don't feel like I do. And I still feel that way, but I don't feel like a fraud because of the work that Jesus has had to do in me. But I can tell you that after the very first sermon I ever preached, it was almost the last sermon I preached. And I preached, I've shared this before, but when, when I first had the opportunity to preach a message, it was to a group of students. I was 22 years old. I was given the opportunity to go to a chapel. I spent hours and hours on a message just like this. I got up in front of them. I shared for five to seven minutes when it was supposed to be a 30 minute message and I froze. And it was like this moment right now. And it was just like blank. I can't think of anything else to say. I can't think of what I was going to say. I can't think of a reason why I'm up here or why anyone would choose for me to be up here. And I literally, after I froze, I mean, the story doesn't end well. I froze and then I was like, and that's all I have. And I prayed. <laughs> and I got up and I sat down and the, the, like the coordinator had to get up and like resurrect the moment and shared a few things, right? The students left. And then the guy walked up and gave me like a long list of things that I could have done better, mainly having something to say and not freezing. And, and that was almost the last time I ever tried preaching because, because it was so brutal. Luckily, my youth pastor said, you're going to get back on the horse. And oh, by the way, you're going to do it next week. So I already set the date and you're going to be there and you're going to stand in front of people and you're going to preach. Doesn't matter how bad it is, you're going to do it because God's called you this. But the point is, I think a lot of times we have this perception that if God's going to use me, if God really has chosen me to do something significant, then I'm going to feel like a superpower. I'm going to feel like I have so much to offer. And can I tell you, it's the opposite. And the reason for that is because Jesus loves filling empty nets. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine proves this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest upon me. So when they got to the shore, Jesus said, I not only fill empty nets, but I've prepared a table for you to give you everything that you need. And I wrote this down. The table... Jesus prepares for you is always because of your empty nets, not in spite of them. Jesus prepares a table for you every day to sit. And it's a table of goodness. It's a table of peace. It's a table where he shows himself to you. It's a, a table where he says, I love you. I still choose you. Come on, let's sit around the table right here on this shore. And let me just look into your eyes and go, I still choose you. Today on this third time of revealing myself to you. It doesn't matter what happened before. What happens is today, here we are. And if you were there, it's a beautiful spot where Jesus, I could just see him right there on the shore preparing these fish at this table. And he gets to sit around and look, look right across the fire in their eyes. I love you. 
I love you. Today I have a table for you. And it's because your nets were empty, not because you got it all together. I love filling empty nets. So when we come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I, I don't actually feel qualified, but I know I am because of you. And so I come to you today empty, an empty vessel, fill me. You know, some of the greatest tragedy, tragedy in the Christian church is when people come to scripture and they read something familiar and they go, yeah, I already know that. Yeah, I've already read that chapter. Yeah, I've already read that verse. Yeah, I already got that one. Read a, did a whole class on that one. Yep, got that one. Know that scripture. Full nets. I already know that. Do you though? Do you? Listen, what, we are a church that holds all that we have very loosely. Now we see dimly through a mirror and then we, we, we will see completely and fully as we are fully known. What that means is at very best, what we know is like seeing through a very foggy mirror. So when we open up the scripture, we don't go, yeah, I got that. Totally understand that. Understand all the depths and knowledge there is to be known about that topic. No, we are literally scratching the surface. And so when we come to the Lord, didn't he say, come as a child? When was the last time a child came to a very complex topic and go, totally know that. Now, granted, maybe your teenager does that, but I'm talking about a child. Children, like a sponge. The best possible thing we could ever say is, I don't know, but I want to know. Jesus, show me. Show me, Lord. I have an empty net today, which is to say I need you. It's not to say I'm disqualified. And it's not to say that I'm a failure. It just simply says, I need you. I can't fill my own net. And so every day when we wake up, God, I need your mercy. And so forgive me, Lord, for not extending your mercy when I need it so much. Lord, I need your revelation today. Forgive me, Lord, where I felt like, oh, I know this now. God, I come to you as a child. I need you. Fill me today. Fill me. I come to you as an empty vessel. Fill me, Lord, with whatever you have for me today. And may I sit at your table and look into your eyes, the eyes that, of the one that calls me friend, which means I don't just love you, I like you. I choose you and I want you. And you thought I didn't have one more point. I still have one more point. And I would, I would end right there, but the last one's so good. Last is this, Jesus reminds Peter what it's all about. So he comes and calls them friends. He says, come on, come on, I got a table for you. My moment to share how much I love you and how much I have for you. And lastly, Jesus takes Peter, and we didn't read this, but you know it. Jesus takes Peter on a long walk along the beach and he simply asks him a simple question. Do you love me? <laughs> After the context of what I've shared with you, you can imagine Peter inside's like, well, that's a little relative. 
That's a little subjective, Jesus, because if you're looking at my behavior, no. I mean, let's go down the list. Jesus, the one that knows everything. Well, let's see. Starting out with, I got an anger problem, and just days ago, I lopped off someone's ear and would be in prison had you not healed him. And then I had a moment to be loyal to you, and not only did I abandon you, but I lied three different times and spoke foul profanities out of my mouth and then you looked at me and the rooster crowed. It was a bad moment, Jesus. So thank you for reminding me about how much I love you. And then I ran and hid and totally didn't believe that you were gonna be raised from the dead. So let's just you know, list the, all of the ways where my love has been proven to you. Do you love me? What kind of a question? And so, well, I, I, th- I do love you. Jesus is like, do you love me? And now Peter's like, well, I mean, I, Jesus, that's a difficult question. I, I think I do. In my heart. I would have expected Jesus on the second time to say, okay, I, I get it, Peter. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Okay, so then now that you've said that, we're gonna need to work on some things, mainly your anger problem. <laughs> because I'm about to send you out because I'm leaving and we're going to need to work on some stuff because we can't have another blow up because I won't be there to heal the guy's ear. So please, let's not lie. Let's not hurt people and let's not run and, and, and hide and let's watch, watch our language. Those are some, just some basic things to work on, Peter. And so then you can prove that you love me. But instead, Jesus didn't say any of those things, not because they're not important. And this is the part of the, of the gospel message where people lose it, the religious, because they think if we preach what Jesus preached and how he discipled people about love, and we don't emphasize the rules, then people would just go and do whatever they want. But if that was the case, then Jesus would have made a bigger deal about not killing people and lying and doing all these things that Jesus didn't even mention them. He just said, do you love me? And as we land the plane here, I have a simple question. As as we look at at us being qualified as ministers, when was the last time you had a meaningful, authentic relationship that, that didn't find its source and its center and its motivation in love? When was the last time you had a relationship with a spouse or a child that, that was about something other than love and it worked out? I mean, I have some relationships and I know about relationships that are out there that are business transactional. You do for me, I'll do for you. And there's nothing wrong with that in business, but that's not a relationship. That's a contract. And there's a place for a contract. But is that what you have with Jesus, a contract? You said a prayer, and so I'm in. Lamb's book of life, we're good. It's a contract. Or is it a relationship? I want a relationship. I want something life-giving and something meaning. And so Jesus was bringing it back to Peter and saying, listen, I know you feel bad, but can I ask you a simple question that, that makes up for all of it. Do you love me? 
Well, Jesus, in my heart, I do. But I still screw up. And so that makes me think that I'm not even worthy to say I love you. And Jesus says, wait, 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 before you go into all that, do you love me? Yeah, I do. Well, then you're qualified. Feed my sheep. Simple question for us today. When was the last time you boiled this whole thing down to he loves me and so then today I get to walk out. I love you. Didn't, didn't Jesus sum it up? Love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength and love others as yourself. Like that, that, that's it. That's it. He loves us. And so we get to love him. It's our love for him that's the doorway to a life of meaning, not our behavior. The Pharisees proved this. There was, there, there, there were perfect behavior. And that, and the door, and that doorway was, a, was to a life of religion that sucked the life out of everything. And maybe you've been in a relationship like that. It was all like, I can never meet the expectation and just like, boom, 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 boom. No life, no love. What Jesus was reminding Peter and he reminds us to today is listen, I showed up after resurrection the third time on this shore declaring something to you that I choose you, I still love you, I still have a place at the table for you. And so let me remind you about what this whole thing is about. Love. And so I guess my question to all of us is, how's our love tank for Jesus? Last week we heard about his incredible love for us. And we just get to receive it. And it's amazing. Today, the question is, what does it look like for us to walk that out with love first? Not what you're going to do for him. Not how you're going to obey for him. But at a heart level. Huh. That kind of changes it because then it sort of changes it from works-based to relationship. Jesus, I love you. Let's start there. Let's start there. Jesus, I love you. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this incredible call that you gave us when you said, I choose you, you didn't choose me, I choose you, I qualify you. And then you center it all with, come on, let's, let's walk along the shore and let's talk about our love for one another. Jesus, I serve you, I, I'm faithful, I wanna continue to improve my life, not because I have to, but because I want to, because I love you. You have showered me with your love and your goodness. And my response is, Jesus, I love you. Lord, would you forgive me for disqualifying myself? 
Will you forgive me for viewing myself less than the incredible potential that you have for me? And so God, I pray today it would be life-giving. I pray today I would hear your voice inviting me once again to the table. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you.